Well, I would ask if you're ready to worship, but I think I already, I already know the answer to that. Because he lives, amen? amen. Um, I just I wanted to just share uh, before I start speaking with you. Um, the Lord's just put a song in my heart. Uh, he kind of always does, whether it's a shower or a car or wherever, you know. And uh, there's a song on the radio. Maybe some of you guys have heard it. Uh, it's by a group called Big Daddy Weave. And I figured, hey, I could play that role. So, you know, uh, so why, why not? You know, so, uh, but this song is, is called My Story. And if I told you my story, you would hear hope. It wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love and never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear lies, but it wasn't mine. If I then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin of when justice was served and where mercy wins of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in oh to tell you my story is to tell that this morning and if I told you my story you would hear victory over the enemy and if I told you my story you would hear freedom that was won for me If I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin of when justice was served. Song, praising my Savior all 
time I just want to kind of how many were here last time I got an opportunity to speak so they're about half and half so that's good so I I, um, I was kind of contemplating I was like man do you want to hear this old story again really now I, I got to share about five minutes I think it was maybe 10 and it was a Wikipedia version uh, but today I'm gonna I'm gonna try to share as much as I can I'm not gonna keep you here I know lunch is important I like to eat um, so it's okay right but I do want to I want to share my heart with you and I, I love that song uh, because of the message in it. If I could tell you my story, which I get the pleasure of doing this morning, I hope what you hear is not a story about Stephen and William Holland, but a story about him. Uh, that's my prayer. That's my heart. Uh, because it's not about me. Never has been, never will be. Um, but it's all for him and for his glory. So with that being said, um, just real, real quick, I, I want to set up this. I do work for Shell Save a Life. And it's an honor to, to work for them. I they, uh, I wrote a book about a year, it's been a little over a year ago, last May, and, uh, and the Lord just kind of basically put it on my heart. I've been in student ministry and worship leading for about nine years, a uh, little bit in Virginia, Tennessee, that's where I went to school, college, and, and got my degree in youth ministry, and uh, the Lord led me, well, first of all, this beautiful woman up here, uh, Rachel and Michelle, which she would rather play the background, but I, I'm going to point her out, we just celebrated our 10 years of we uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, this pat the seventeenth of this month. I got that right, right? Okay, I, trust me, I I get it sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but ten years and three daughters. Three daughters. Just make sure, pause. Get that. So it's you know I'm I'm a lone ranger, but I'm so blessed. And uh, but I, I met her and her family was from Tampa, Florida. So the Lord opened some doors for me to go down and and youth pastor down there. So I, we were down there for about eight years, um, and then and I'll stop with that because I'll give too much of it away, but, uh, but just to know I've been in ministry, um, so that, that, so, you know, trekking with that, and then, so I wrote this, this book, and the Lord opened these doors for me to start sharing my story in some churches, and, uh, you know, adoption agencies, mostly in churches, though, and Shell Save a Life, hey, let's, let's have a meeting, let's talk, so the last year, um, I came on board with them last May, and we, we got to speak to over 6,100 students, um, and we're in every school uh, from Franklin County, so Red Bay, Phil Campbell, all the way over to you guys' area in Rogersville with Lauderdale County and all the, all the schools here. So the only one, we're only in, not in two schools. So we're about 20, I think 27 schools, well, 29. We're hoping to be in all of them this year. And we're hoping to see about 8,000 students this year. Um, brought a few people on staff. And so the Lord just, and what we do with that is going in and helping students make wise choices, wise decisions. Think about the decisions you're making and what the consequences could be, and hopefully they make the wisest. Now, we can't go in and blast the name of Jesus in most of those public schools, but it, it, it's, I'll tell you what, it just it warms my heart to, we, we do these little scantrons, and students will come up, they'll write on the back, bless you, you know, in Jesus' name. You know, because you know how it is. If we're walking in the light, we shed the light. 
Um, so I, I'm honored to be able to do that. And so that, that's kind of how I know Show Save a Life. And, and obviously, you know, if you follow them on Facebook or these things, there's babies being saved every day. And, and I love to be a part of that, too. But my, my role is in the schools and kind of we're, we're the prevention side, right, that they don't uh, possibly can make wiser decisions and not show up at the clinic, you know, facing a, a major life, life decision. Um, so with that, so what, what's that got to do with me, though, right? And I, some of you all know a little bit, but... You know, the, my story fits into that, and people around Shoal Save Life will tease you. You know, Stevenson's story is he, he is Shoal Save Life. You know, and, and what, th what that means is, is you know, I was, uh, I was in my family, uh, you know, at eight years old uh, in the Holland family. I, I was, um, I, I really, been, you know, getting made fun of at school, and uh, I've always been on a little bit of the fluffy side of life, so there's that side of it. Uh, but also, you know, where I grew up in 1982 uh, in Tennessee, right outside of Chattanooga, and I think, I think last time I was here, somebody know where Whitwell's at? You ever heard of Whitwell? Whitwell, Tennessee. Anybody know Scottsboro? Uh, South Pittsburgh? You ever heard of South Pittsburgh? So you hit Interstate 24 right there, Kimball, Tennessee, where the Walmart and that stuff, you, had, you hang right, you're heading to Chattanooga, go over Nickajack Lake. About 25 minutes up the valley from there, there's a little town called Whit Whitwell. If you're from there, it's Whitwell. You know, if that's how it's spelled. But if you're from there, you got to say it. Well, you know, we know, we know you're an outsider if you don't say it right. Right. But that's that's where I grew up. So, you know, in that area, there was still some racial tension. OK, so I, I'm at school in about third grade, you know, and I, and I basically the kids started kind of picking on me. And it's like, you know, your whole family, your my mom was a kindergarten teacher at the school and your whole family's white, but you're not. <laughs> Newsflash, right? So, but as an, I think I was around eight, nine years old at the time. You, I, to me though, I, I had never thought about that. You know, what I'm saying like, what? I mean, they're my family, you know. Uh, so I'm, I go home and I have that conversation with mom one night in, in tears, and you know, she's asked me what's wrong, and I, I told her I was like, mom, this is what happened at school. You know, they're making fun of me, and they said that I wasn't white. <laughs> Well, what's up with that, you know? And so, and she she explains to me that, okay, I told you this when you were five, so let's make sure. She's like, when you share with people, you make sure that I told you before you started school, you know. That I was like, but for me, at eight years old, when it all, you know, came crashing in, for me, it was a hard time, you know, in my life. But there's also hope to be found. But I, but I'm sitting on the edge of this bed and, and shedding tears and crying, and my mom's, you know, she basically told me this. She's like, son, you are my son and I love you. You always will be and always have been, but I'll say this. When you were seven days old, you came into our family uh, through foster care. Um, you, and, and she explained all this to me. I didn't, I'm going to share it with you now, but I didn't get the gravity of it till later in life, but she was like, you know, we, your mother couldn't take care of you. She, she turned you into human services and at, at seven days old, and, and we, we brought you into our family, okay? as a foster child that you needed support, you needed help. You were on death's doorstep. We had to massage your legs, you know, because you were so weak. You were on the same bottle of formula that you'd left the hospital in seven days later. Your mama's out there, grandmama's, dad's, grandpa's. That's not a good thing, right? Very mal malnourished. And um, so I didn't know really why that had happened at the time, but, but she's painting this picture that we, we brought you into our family as a, as a seven-day-old foster child and quickly fell in love with you. You know, at six months old, we decided that, you know what, we're gonna make you part of our family permanently. So at six months old, they 
started that process, and here's what happened with that. Remember that racial thing, and State Department said, you know, this child's probably biracial, um, you know, darker skin than you all as a family, so we don't really think that that's going to be the best choice for him to grow up in a white home. So my family said, uh, baloney um, for them, you know. Uh, I think that's probably the nicest way to say it. Um, you know, this is our child. You know, we've loved him, we've cared for him, we've nurtured him for six months of his life, and, and he's ours. So we're going to do what we have to do to fight. So not to give you tons of detail, but from six months to age two, that's how long it took them the fight was. Uh, and I, I think I said this last time, some of y'all younger souls will, I, I don't even really get the gravity of it. My mom says, you know, she, she explains it in my book. She's like, it's like a Jerry Lee Lewis telethon down there. You know, they were like, back, back the big dogs off. You know what I'm saying? So they fought, I have 600, 700 petition letters of churches, family members, uh, you know, friends, just all over that had written petition letters to the State Department to allow the Holland family to keep this child that they took in as a foster child and wanted to adopt. So finally, that battle for like a year and a half, they finally were able to adopt me. And my name went from Stephenton William Holt, H-O-L-T, to Stephenton William Holland at two years old. So I've been a Holland since I was seven days old, but officially on paper since I was age two. So at eight years old, I find that out for the first time. So I'm, I'm going to be real with you. Bomb, you know, dropped in my life. And I'm thinking, you know, as an eight-year-old, as much as I can process, I know some of y'all heard some of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why would a woman not want their child? You know what I'm saying? As an eight-year-old, mine could comprehend. Like, why would my mom not want me? And, like, I'm, you mean I'm not really a Holland, you know? And although I, I think now and I know later in life, I learned that I'm as much a Holland as, as anybody else. But, but for me, I, I just I felt frustrated. I felt kind of alone. I felt different. You know, so, so hearing that at school, these kids call me different and, you know, racial stuff. But then even in my own family for a while, I felt different. Like, you know, it's hard maybe to try to belong. So, so here I am as an eight-year-old. So, th so that, that moment has happened in my life, but then here comes the hope, right? That happens sometime in, in the spring, by the fall. And I, here's the thing. Remember, I, I have that drug problem when I was young. Some of y'all are, what? Every time the church doors were open, I was drug in and drug out, okay? In and out, in and out. But for me, I had, I had this foundation that was being built, not even realizing it. My Mimi Jones... I look at some of you ladies out here, and I know, I know many of you, you know, in a church, you're investing in students and little kids. My Mimi Jones, Fanny Isabel, okay? She, uh, she was one of my heroes in life. She was my Sunday school teacher, you know, and, and feeding me the word of God, right? And I, and I, I remember that. And it, so in that moment as an 8-year-old, even though I felt like my whole life, everything, my foundation has fallen out from underneath me, then I, I realized that, you know what, I need a rock, I need the, the foundation of all foundation, the cornerstone of all cornerstones, and it's in the person of Jesus, right? And I knew the name of Jesus. I think that's very important. Many of us in this room, we know the name of Jesus, right? Demons tremble at the name of Jesus, right? But it's, it's, it's a further step. We can't just know the name of Jesus. In that moment, as an eight-year-old, I realized I need a relationship with him. I need to make him Lord of my life. It's not just enough to know his name. I've called on it, trust me. 
even as you know before as they, but as an eight year old kind of like Lord why 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 and I can say many of us until we're you know we're eighty eight right we're still crying out sometimes in life why 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 I want to throw a word out to you and I don't normally go here with this but the Lord's given me one sermon I, I pre I share my testimony and I share one sermon that's all I got okay but He's given me a message called scars. And I just want y'all to think about that word as I, as I share my testimony this morning. How many of you guys in this room got some scars? I think we could all put our hand up. Really, all of us. What, no matter how young, no matter how old, we all have scars. Some of them are visible, and we can see them. Some of them cut deep, right? Some of them we've held on to for a long time, and they're still not healed completely, right? It's just, and I think, we, I think that fits everybody. I, I think everybody can relate to that. So hold on to that thought as I talk. So for me, I had a scar. I had a wound that hurt. And, it, you know, at times it still hurts, and that's okay. But I know that where I, I stepped into as an 8-year-old, right, I, I came to know Jesus. Jesus, the power of that name, stepped into that brokenness. And the title of my book is called Brokenness to Wholeness. In that moment... I think because of Jesus, I started being made whole, right, and complete. Now, has those scars healed completely? No, but he's mending it. And I think there's, there's something really powerful about, you know what, I'll share this at the end, but if we give that to him, if we can, we can muster up the strength, the surrender to give him those scars, what can he do with those? So just think about that this morning as I share. So, so here I am, I'm giving Jesus my scars right starting that process so i came to know christ as an eight-year-old so we fast forward and i'll say this if i was talking to a bunch of students i'd spend a bunch of time here because it's cool you know you were a football player and you played baseball and you used to hurt people and yeah right my brother nick back there we've had some conversations about this right those football days right i was a, i was a all-state middle linebacker 200 nunio business pounds right <laughs> running over people and it's just that's just who you know but here here was the thing for me i'll say this Sports for me, whether it was on a baseball field hitting home runs, right, or, or outrunning everybody, even though I was fluffy, you know, uh, I just made it a goal that, you know what, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be different anymore, so I'm going to push myself as hard as I possibly can to make sure you don't outrun me, you don't outhit me, right? That was, I had put almost, okay, I came to know Jesus, you know, that relationship with Christ as an eight-year-old, but it quickly, you know how it is, Preach it now, right? How we can kind of slide a little bit. You know, there's times where we're real close with him. And, and I, but what happened was over time is I started to get my name in the paper. I was, I was earthquake in middle school. I was freight train in high school, okay? So I was in the paper, and I was getting all this, you know, man, this kid's going to go places. You know, he's going to play a major league, or, he, you know, he's going to play for some big college school. And, and I started, you know, started getting all this in my And so basically what happened? Jesus here. Now, I was singing in the churches. I was part of FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was actually president for a couple of years. You know, on the surface, I had a close walk. But really what was going on is I kind of pushed to the back burner. Then over here, this, you know, something really kind of took the place of Jesus, right? Now, he was there, but wasn't first, okay? So I started pursuing this, right, fame and, and pushing forward. Well, God has a way of humbling us. Now, I don't, I don't always want to say that I don't think he has to cause his physical pain to do that. Sometimes it can hurt even worse to have the emotional pain. 
But sometimes he's got to give us a jolt and wake us up. So 1998, uh, junior in high school, I was, that was my all-state middle linebacker year, okay? Um, second game of the season, um, I'm running, I was also a fullback. I'm running the ball, you know, fighting for two more yards, turn, turn the pile around. You guys can relate to this, football. Just needed two yards, right? I had to get five. So I'm falling back, whistle blows. Free safety puts his helmet in my lower back, and it literally, it just bent my head. It felt like I touched my heels. That's how, that's how much it bent me. And I thought, well, I just pulled a muscle, and I, I actually sat out maybe a week, maybe two, kept playing. By the time, I didn't play any sports in between football and baseball, so basketball, I didn't want to do any of that, too much running. So I, so I, uh, I took some time off there, but every morning, let me, Okay, thank, thank goodness for mamas, okay? She took care of me, I love her. She's my second hero in life. But, I, but I'm looking, I'm, you know, this was, this, was my, this was my routine every day, right? And then baseball season, I, I was able to play through that. But here, here I am, so, I, so the Lord, remember I said that humbling part? Um, at 17 years old, uh, I, I, was, I was in so much, I was having numbness in my right foot and all this crazy, here's what happened. 17 years old, they're like, look, we've done everything we know to do, MRIs, x-rays, we just need to open you up. So I had my first surgery, first back surgery, six-inch incision. Son, you got three herniated discs and a pinched nerve. This is the worst back we've seen on a kid your age up until this point. So at 17, had that, had that repaired, and they're like, okay, you want to walk in life or you want to play football? I said, well, walking sounds nice. So, uh, so I, I hung up the pads, and so here I am right now. Look, I know I've said this probably last time. I'm going to lose half of y'all today, but I didn't have dreams of putting on crimson and, and white, okay? <laughs> I had dreams of running through a checkered end zone and looking over and seeing Smokey and, and, you know, hearing that great old song, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to sing it this morning. I don't want to torture anybody, but, <laughs> but uh, I know some of y'all checked out, but I guess I got to be real, right? But uh, I had dreams of playing for Tennessee. That was my, that was my goal, right? I, I was going to run through that end zone. I, I didn't care if I played starter or not. I just wanted to wear it, right? And, uh, but those dreams, you know what I'm saying, crushed. So here I am, and I want to throw up this. Uh, that's the book, by the way. I want to throw up this passage of Scripture. And it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because, see, I was laid up in bed for six weeks, okay, kind of, you know, recuperating. It's a major back surgery. Anybody ever had back surgery? Yeah. Right? It doesn't feel good. Everything hurts. <laughs> you don't realize how much nerves and you have to use there. So look, so it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is true worship, proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Then it says what? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So here I am. Remember I had that drug problem as a kid, you know, being drug in, drug out. I've had the word of God just in soaking up in here, you know, not even realizing it. And in, in one of my, you know, painful, that's a, that's a painful recovery, you know, even for a 17-year-old, right? I mean, I heal a little quicker than these days, but that was a major surgery. Laid up in bed, you know, a teenager the, going into my senior year of high school, you know, not being able to play football anymore, and God takes me to this verse, 
And, and I, what I want to focus on right there is he says what? To offer your what? Did it say a finger? Did it say a toe? Did, right? It says what? Body. So to, if we could rephrase that, offer everything as a living sacrifice. So in that moment, laying there in recovery, I said, Lord, everything I got, it's yours. I mean, I, I realize, you know, maybe what I wanted for myself isn't what you want. And uh, that's a hard place to come to, you know, especially when you're chasing dreams. And many of us, maybe there's another, you know, preach it, brother, right? We've had some dreams where God's maybe had some other plans. So, I, so you know, so I, I made it a, um, I said, look, I got to get healthy. I can't be carrying 200 none of your business pounds anymore, you know, not playing football. And I said, you know, I've got a back surgery. I've got to get healthy. So I. I dropped 60 pounds my senior year just working, and I took this, this scripture to heart. Okay, Lord, it's yours. If I'm going to be a living sacrifice and pleasing to you, I'm going to take that literally. You know, I've got to get healthy and so you can use me. So that, so my senior year, I focused on that, and, and um, I wound up uh, doing some college tours and things. I wound up picking a little school in Bristol, Tennessee. Any NASCAR fans out there? Uh, Bristol, you know, we the school's about eight miles from the track, and um, and I, I went up there just to, because I fell in love with the campus, and they have a youth ministry program. They actually had a music therapy program, which was kind of interesting to me, and that's kind of what I was going to do first, but as a freshman in college, I'm I'm sitting there in my dorm room, and my, my roommate was a soccer player. I don't know how that happened, but um, anyways, um, I'm sitting there in my in my dorm room, and, and uh, the Lord just honestly, he speaks to me. And uh, not, not an audible voice, but just spirit deep, okay? And he says, um, look, I'm, uh, I'm calling you into ministry. And I was like, what? I was like, no, 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 no. Because they had the youth ministry program, but I was cool with doing the music therapy thing, right? I don't have to, I just help people. I don't have to deal with them. <laughs> Some of y'all get that tomorrow. But, I, but what I'm saying, I, I've been in ministry, you know. My, I had uncles that were pastors, and I've seen the good and the you know, the, the ugly side, maybe. And that's, that's just being real, right? It's, it's a calling that God has to put on your heart to choose to be in ministry. And I knew that calling, and I knew the weight of it. And here's what I told God. You cannot use this. I'm too dirty. I'm too broken. My scars are too deep, right? You can't use this. And, and, this, and basically, this is what he told me, okay? This, I'm in my dorm room. I'm on my knees at this point. Like, Lord, you can't use this. He said, uh, Stephenton, if you will lay it down, if you'll give it to me, I can use every single broken piece. So at that point, I'm on my face, just sobbing, snot, tears. I mean, I'm just not pretty, okay? He's wrecking me. That's the best word I can use. I mean, he's, he's breaking me down, right, so I can be that living. I, I, can't, I can't lean on. I can't. Nobody else can take this. He has to, but I have to lay it down. I have to give it to him. So in that moment, as a freshman in college, I said, Lord, use me. Again, right? That same mess. Here I am. Take these broken pieces and use me. So 180, started chasing the youth ministry major and found this lovely lady. I, I was, a, By the way, I heard the crack of the bat as baseball, and I was like, hey, I could probably play with those guys. So long story short, five years of college baseball, I actually play, wound up playing sport anyways, right? Walked on. Uh, my wife played volleyball, fell in love, right? The rest is history. But we, uh, 
like I said, we moved down to Tampa, Florida. I was youth ministering down there. Uh, we, we had both had that conversation with each other. We want to start a family early. She's been wanting to be a mom since she was seven, right? And I'm glad she waited, <laughs> right? So save a life, you know, the message, abstinence, you know, that's a good thing, okay? So we, we waited. Uh, she, I'm glad that she waited. And we had our, we, we got pregnant, ex, you know, expecting our, our, our first uh, baby to be born. And at, um, at eight weeks, um, we lost it. We had a miscarriage. We lost our, our first pregnancy, our first baby. And uh, devastating, you know, young couple. Um, but, you know, we lost that. And then, so then, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're, we, we said, Lord, you know, okay, your will, we've come to peace with that. We got pregnant again, and you all just saw her, Isabella. She's eight years old, right? Then, then we're, we get pregnant again expect with our third pregnancy, and at 10 weeks, we lost it. We lost another child. And um, so, so we had two miscarriages, one successful pregnancy, and get pregnant again. And, and, uh, and I say we, but we all know who, who does all the work there, right? Rachel gets pregnant again, and, and uh, number four, and, and you saw her, Eliana. She's six. And then the Lord blessed us again with another daughter, Eli, uh, Cadence. Who's uh, who's now three? Okay, now let me back up though just a little bit. We're we're in Tampa, Florida, 975 square foot apartment. Uh, we've had miscarriage. We've had Isabella. We had another miscarriage, and and we're expecting Eliana. Okay, she was born December 21st, and this is about June, July of the summer of that year, 2009. I'm sitting sitting in this little apartment, 975 square feet. Very important, right? And um, those two miscarriages are weighing heavy on my heart because, see, I don't, I don't know, you know, foster care adoption. I don't know my mother, you know, really. I've got, I've, now, over the years, I've had eight pages of typewriter paperwork, okay, from the human services. It, it's faded. It looked like somebody poured coffee on it, and I can barely make out the names of all this stuff. But I don't know who my mom is, but I definitely don't know who my father was because um, there's no records of it. Okay, so I'm I'm sit, I'm sitting there in this apartment, and I'm I'm like, Lord, is it because of me that we're losing these precious babies? You know, I, what's going on? I don't know any medical history, right? So the Lord starts to speak to me in my spirit in that moment, and He says, "I heard this. It's time." And I'm like, Lord, it's time for what? I, I wrestled with that for three days, and basically this this overwhelming peace. I've had years, you know, of I'm 27 years old at this time. Um, when this is going on and I, I've had moments in my life where you know why would this woman not want me all this stuff and, and at 27 he gives me this it's time to look for your mom your birth mom and I said Lord okay where do I start eight pages of typewriter paperwork I go where Google right Google has answers for everything so I go on Google and I start name searching three days okay went by it's all I can say is God's timing perfect timing his good, pleasing, perfect will, perfect timing. I come across a website for a man named Steve Holt. He's a magician and ventriloquist in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I'm reading his bio. I was like, why did this you know, magician, magic guy pop up on here in this name search? And I start looking at his bio and his family history, and I start looking at my paper. And name, 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 Glenda Sue Holt. That's my mom's name. So, I mean, I'm freaking out, right? It, could this be my uncle? 
or you know something there. I send them an I send them a, an email actually, and just say hey you know can you imagine that? Hey, I could be your nephew, <laughs> right? I haven't never met you. It's been 27 years, but I could be your nephew. And his wife will tell you he read that email and he about threw himself in the floor, pushing back from his office desk at home. And uh, he called me at 1 in the morning, and I said, I can't do this at 1 in the morning, you know, if, if this is who I think it is. So I hung up. I, well, I didn't even answer. I called him at 7 when I woke up, and we talked for hours. And I, in that moment at 27 years old, I just met my uncle, Steve Holt, that I have never, never knew I had at 27 years old. So what, what happened there is we spent about, we spent probably about a month uh, communicating, and, and uh, I was like, man, I've got to come see you. And so I flew from Tampa, Florida to Spark Greenville, South Carolina, drove over to Spartanburg, and we spent a total of five days together, okay? So the first two days, he basically, you know, we reminisced and, and just he caught me up on so much family history. So here's what happened. My mom, my birth mom is 18 years old, okay, and little ears in the room, I'll say it like this, she was taken advantage of by five men one night walking home from a work program she was set up with because she lived in a group home because she's mentally challenged. Um, she was 18 but only mentally functioned as high as an 11-year-old, okay? So they had her set up with a job that was easily accessible to walk to. She was brutally attacked, okay? One of those men is my father, okay? I was conceived in that. 18 years old, living in a group home, pregnant. You can imagine what societies, what they're telling her to do, right? I mean, we can imagine. Probably abort. If not abortion, at least adoption. You're not keeping that child. You can't provide what it needs. You got to realize the history of her family. There's six siblings. She's one of six. Every single one of them, except for my uncle Steve, is mentally handicapped in some way. I uh, just lost an uncle uh, at age 40, 45, uh, just learned how to feed himself when he was 42, okay? So, I mean, that you had severity of that where he was hospitalized for 18 months, and then you have, like, my mom and her two sisters, my two aunts, that what you would call educably uh, retarded. Like that, that word's not one they like to use these days. It's physically or mentally challenged. But they can't live life alone. They get taken advantage of in many ways, financially and obviously others. So two days spent with him, I, I find this out, and he basically tells me this. You know, she came to my house when she, when she was pregnant. She actually, so here's what happened. Because they were going to take her baby away, she ran for my life. She ran away was homeless nine months of her pregnancy, never had one day of prenatal care, not one doctor visit. My Uncle Steve said she came to my house and I tried to help her. I went to take a shower. We were going to go to church that night, and she disappeared. And I didn't see her from, from 1982 till I finally met her again in 1992. There's 10 years. I, don't, I still don't know to this day what happened to my mom, okay, Glenda Sue Holt. But in that moment, you know, he, he's sharing all this, and, and, um, and I find out basically that she, she got to Chattanooga to a women's home there, and then she befriended a lady from my, the hometown I grew up in. She wound up in a cardboard box behind an old grocery store called Pickett's Grocery, and that's where she lived. And there was a 16-year-old boy named Bobby Perkins who I actually got to interview at 50-something years old for my book. At 16 years old, he had a heart for this woman, took her in, showed up at his family's house, right? He's 16, she's 18, and she's very pregnant. You can imagine what his parents are saying. You know, 
18-year-old woman, his family has a heart for us, takes her in, gets her to the hospital. She gives birth to me on March 31st, 1982. Okay? So they, they actually, they were going to take me away from her again. So this family, 1982, mind you, security's not quite as tight, actually snuck us out of the hospital. Okay? My mother and myself because she wanted to be able to keep me. Seven days went by, and they realized really quickly she gave me cold water because she thought I was hot to drink. She rolled over on me when I slept. She just didn't know how to provide for a child. So at seven days, this 16-year-old, against the wishes of his parents, they were very poor. They couldn't provide for a, a grown woman and their child, their baby, hence the milk, you know, being on it for seven days from the hospital. This 16-year-old loaded up this woman and this baby, and they dropped me off at Human Services seven days, 1982, and that's how I got into the Holland family, okay? Now, here's, here's the crazy thing to me, okay? We talked about Jesus and how powerful he is. After I met my uncle uh, and spent those two days with him, on day three, he, he's like, you know what? Um, I think you can handle this. Your mom is alive. And she lives five hours south of us. Would you like to see her? Yeah, I think I would. If nothing else, just to tell her I love her and thank you for giving me life. And he said, I'm not sure how it's going to go because, you know, she's mentally challenged. She hasn't, she's never met you. She carried around a picture of a baby for 17 years that thought it was hers, but it wasn't. I'm not sure. She has a lot of anxiety. I'm not sure how it's going to go down. Are you prepared if she, you know, says, I, whatever, you know, I, I don't, I, hey, listen, that baby is not bothering me at all, okay? I love them, so don't feel like you got to take her out. I'm, I'm serious. It's okay. Um, you do what you need to as a mama, but it is not bothering me. Um, I needed that moment anyways because I'm going to be crying anyways. Um. I said, I can do this. We, let's do it. So we, we drove down to Jeffersonville, Georgia, and, and Glenda Sue Holt, my mother, my birth mom, she's living in an assisted living home, and my uncle goes in, uh, long story short, he does a magic show for the residents there, which is very comical to me because I'm on a camera, okay? I've spent two hours with my mom already. We went to Subway. She sang two songs already, okay? She's been, she loves to sing. Don't know what she's singing about, but she loves to sing, right? It's in her spirit. It's in her heart. And we, we, he gets through with the magic show. And, and um, so this is my uncle and myself and my mom is going to star in this video that I'm going to let you see. But this is after he finishes the magic show. This is what God does. I love my sunshine and I love my life and I love all of y'all. And they'll forgive me. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we hope you enjoy our magic show and our song and dance. All right. I got a song. And Stephen's going to sing for us. I got a song. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a like me. I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now. 
I want to show y'all how good God is. Glenda, you stay right here. Okay. I wasn't going to do it this way, but we are. Glenda Sue. You know I love you. I love you. You have been through a whole lot. And you've been the best girl you could be for 46 years. And you had a little boy when you were about 18. And you missed that little boy. His name was Stephenton William, but he, had a diff he has a different last name. The family that you gave him to to take care of him, their, their last name was Holland. So his name is Stephenton William Holland. And this Mama, you could be to me. I'm so happy you made the choice that you did. I love you, I love you too. Yes, he does. We have pictures for you. He brought pictures for you. He has made a scrapbook for you. And he has, in the scrapbook, he has pictures of him. Remember the picture you carried of the little boy? You thought was your son, but wasn't really your son. But now you have real baby pictures of him and you have pictures of the Holland family Mr. and Miss Holland that raised him he has a lot of family and they love you they've always loved you son I love you from the bottom of my heart and I love you deeply in my heart and I, I want to say I'm glad that you're here today and mama loves you and I have from this first time that you was in my belly. I sang to you, I read nursery rhymes to you, I remember all that. And this is your mama right here. And I love you, my son. And um, I want to show you something that I've learned. I love Jesus and I want you to know that I love my family. And I know now I have a real big family that I can look forward to seeing. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know I, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Wow. Man, we take so for granted the word of God. But I, I usually hold it together through that entire video till I get to one part, and when she mentions the name Jesus, I lose it. 
Because, yeah, I mean, it's awesome that I got to meet my birth mom, but I didn't have to meet her to know how big my Jesus is, right? But here's the awesome thing. Talk about brokenness to wholeness. There's a relationship of severed for 27 years. I didn't even know she existed. She didn't know where I was, right? But because of Jesus. See, she loves Jesus, and I love Jesus. That's the glue. That's what makes it whole, the person of Jesus. Because, see, when all this is done, you know, I, we, we drive. She's seen all three of her grandbabies. We call her Gigi, Grandma Glenda, right? We drive seven hours right now to go see her. I'm in the process of trying to get her moved to Tennessee, actually. I found out that I can move her across state lines. How awesome would it be to get her? She's never had people that's been coming to visit her. I mean, literally, since 1982 or 1992 that I know of with my uncle, she's been in a home, right, a, st- a ward of the state of Georgia. Right, And so, I mean, my uncle would go see her as much as he could, which wasn't very often. We get to see her two or three times a year, and that's the only visitors that she ever has. And it breaks my heart every time. I want to give her more, but I can't. Right? She's in the best care that she, we can get for her right now, but I'm in the process of how awesome would this be to get her near my adopted family so they can love on her. See, my mom, my adopted mom, Joyce Holland, Um, she wanted to take her in with me when I was a baby, but they wouldn't let her. That's the kind of heart. Remember I told you she's one of my heroes that she has. She cared for my dad. I lost my dad August of 2014 to Alzheimer's. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. Because we were serving full time in ministry in Tampa. And um, I'm looking at my mom's health deteriorating loving on my dad like sacrificial like amazing love and I'm looking at him deteriorating and I I, the Lord gave me a piece um there's a picture in my book of where I'm shirtless as an infant he's shirtless he just worked worked in the coal mines and came home and he puts me on his chest chest to chest right he's my dad I got to go back as he's taken his last and I held him. We all got scars and they hurt sometimes. But they're, uh, I'm going to share this. I'm going to quit. I could keep going. I, don't wanna, I already told y'all I wasn't going to make you late for lunch. I already have. But I, I just, I guess my challenge is this amazing story and God, thank you for it, but I just what means more to me is that you know that the person that can heal your scars, that you have a relationship with them, it's not just about a name. The name's powerful, and that's great to know, but it's a relationship that mends that broken heart, that takes those scars and places them back together. I just recently, in the last few years, heard of a uh, Japanese art form called Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, Kintsugi, and what it is is they take broken pottery that nobody else would want and it can't be used anymore. They take lacquer and precious metals and they put it in there and they actually piece this thing back together. So guess what? It becomes usable again, but it actually becomes what? Worth even more because it has gold, silver, all this. And it actually, instead of hiding the cracks and the scars, it illuminates it. See, that's the beauty in your scars and my scars if we give it to the master, to the potter, what can he do with it? So this morning, 
I'm gonna say this, brother. If we come up and uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know how y'all do things here, and I'm not concerned as much with that. I don't mean that in disrespect. I, I want you guys to have the freedom to just follow your heart. You don't have to come up here as a magistrate or an officer and say, well, that's why I'm here. You know, if you need healing, if you feel broken, if you got some scars that need to heal, or maybe you just need to do some time with Jesus.